0: my dear president and sisters, for many weeks now in the United Kingdom, a sort of election fever seems to have prevailed, at least in the populace. We have been bombarded, especially in the media, by the major and the minor political parties with promises and plans, many of which are unlikely to be fulfilled in reality. Well, as servants of the Most High God, we, of course, await the kingdom of God, that great political entity which is to be established when Jesus Christ rules with the saints. Therefore, we take no part in the affairs of this world. We acknowledge that kings are appointed by God as part of his plan and his purpose for the earth. You know, at times, we may well bridle at the behavior of men and women who are in power. But we need to acknowledge that, as Paul tells us, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So, we do not vote, we do not take part in politics, lest we should perhaps fight against God and his will. We may well have a personal preference as to who we'd prefer to see in power, but we must recognise that God is in control, and it is his will that must be done. Over the many centuries, we have seen how the Almighty has allowed men and women to come to the fore in order to move his purpose forward. Cyrus comes to mind, and we know that he was ordained many years before his birth for a wonderful role, almost as a type of Christ, and very much to the benefit of Israel in the regathering after the 70 years of captivity. And through Isaiah, we read this, For Jacob my servant's sake... And Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So he was a man chosen to be in power. And when we read the account, as we will do later on, brethren and sisters, through the kings and through the prophets, we can but marvel at the way in which God puts the right man in place in order to benefit his people and to move his purpose forward. And we have to believe that that is what will apply in our own circumstances in this country. The word election is of significant interest to us because elect and election appear in the scriptures of truth. The English word has as its basis the idea of being chosen and by extension being chosen by a majority Now, in the Hebrew and the Greek, these words have very much the same meaning, so there is no mystery here. It means being chosen, and what we have been witnessing is the process of the people, vox populi, the voice of the people, choosing who they believe should be in power in the United Kingdom. And we shall probably watch with great interest what happens over the next uh, three weeks Uh, until the decision of the people is made known. What we have seen in the United Kingdom is perhaps a shift in politics, but also a confirmation of the teaching of the word that it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. What the outcome of the next few days and weeks is to be seems very uncertain indeed. And so how grateful we can be that we can ignore these affairs, being grateful that we're not in fact called to engage in the affairs of the kingdoms of men, whose kingdoms are soon to be ruled by Christ and the saints. So what a prospect lies ahead of us, brethren and sisters. Now whilst we take no part in politics, Did we perhaps take an opportunity to promote the politics of the coming kingdom of God? We had a couple of uh, knocks on our door with people wanting to persuade us to vote for that particular party. You know, if that happens to us, we have a duty to explain why we do not vote and yet are prepared to accept the benefits provided by a democratic government. When our vote is sought by the politicians, we have a wonderful opportunity to witness to the truth. And we should always grasp that opportunity. There is, as I've already hinted, an interest for us in the matter of election. Both our master and the apostles make reference to the elect of God. And I thought we might dwell upon this as a basis exhortation this morning before we also look at one or two lovely examples of love in the word of God which we've read this morning. It was the Apostle Peter who wrote about the elect. He said this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now, Peter is addressing those who were known before of God, just like Cyrus, who through the process of sanctification, which requires obedience and baptism into the saving name of Jesus, have become elect. The opening words of Paul in his letter to the Ephesians alerts us to this astonishing and humbling truth. We might like to turn to these words in Ephesians chapter 1, brethren and sisters, where Paul addresses the saints, he says, which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. We surely can be numbered amongst those to whom this letter is directed. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Yes, that's being elect. Elect of God. He hath chosen us In him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We have been chosen in him, in Christ, since the foundation of the world. And this fact demands an understanding of the foreknowledge of the Almighty, who knows the end from the beginning. When I say understanding, I do not believe we can truly understand these facets of God's power and his ability, but surely we can appreciate the enormity of our calling to the faith that we should be elected, not by the people, but by God. When we think about the process of human election, we must see it as fraught with danger. Those we might think are suitable for a post or To be honoured are so often not those chosen by the Almighty. Cain was the firstborn, but it was Abel who pleased God. Adam must have been proud of his firstborn son, as was Isaac with Esau. But the human assessment proved faulty, and so it has been time and again throughout the Scriptures. David was the least esteemed in his family probably because he was only a half-brother to the majority of his brothers. It seems Jesse had to be reminded that he did have another son, but he was tending the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? He said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And Samuel received that message in his ear from the Almighty. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Yes, divine selection, election, is based upon parameters that we would hardly consider appropriate. And when we apply this scriptural teaching to our own circumstances, it is surely both humbling and yet something to rejoice in. How often have we wondered personally, why has God called us to his service? What are the characteristics that are worthy of eternal life? Well, we can learn a lot about election by looking at what Paul had to say to the Corinthians. Let's turn to the first letter to the Corinthians, and again, the first chapter of this epistle and read what Paul has to say about election. First Epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Think of Paul. Think of Paul in the days when he was not directing his paths correctly before God. He was seen by the brotherhood in the first century as being a particularly evil man. Would they have voted for him to be part of their organisation, to be perhaps a senior brother? No, they wouldn't. The last thing they would have thought about doing, how important it is to recognise it is God who calls. He wrote unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints... There it is, we are elect with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Yes, immediately we can see the connection with election, sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. Divine selection was at work in Corinth. Amidst all the evils that that Roman city displayed, And which affected the ecclesia to some degree because that's why Paul had to write to them, to correct them. Yes, people were being separated to the calling. And so he continues in verse 9 of this chapter. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to speak about the importance of their behavior being appropriate. When we take every opportunity to tell others of our great hope in Christ, we will experience various responses. Some will be polite and smile and turn away. Others will express amazement that we believe in Christ's rule upon the earth and in eternal life. But as Paul tells us in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And then he goes on to explain the basis of our election and of our calling. Look at verse 19. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, or bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then he continues in verse 26. Ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. What a wonderful explanation, brethren and sisters, as to why we have been called. Yes, the foolishness of preaching Perceived from the standpoint of being, say, a nationalist politician, our hope of life in the kingdom of God must seem very foolish indeed. We watched a couple of the debates on television as politicians of all parties tried to get over to the public their vision of the future for the United Kingdom and its place in world affairs. And it simply emphasised the teaching of the word that it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So what is then the basis of God's election plan? Well, it's the foolishness of God being wiser than men. And Paul explains why the likes of you and me have been chosen by the Almighty to share in his plan for the world. We can only exclaim, What a privilege. But Paul does go on in his letters to explain that privilege brings with it responsibility. Put on therefore, he says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. Yes, that's required of us brethren and sisters. I'd like us just to consider a very lovely worked example of showing kindness and love from our reading this morning from John chapter 12. If we can just turn back to it again. We read yesterday of the way in which the home of Martha and Mary was brought again to smiles and laughter and grateful thanks in the resurrection, the raising again, as it were, of Lazarus not resurrection in the true sense of the word of course but he was raised to life again to spend out a further period of his probation for his Lord and then this morning we've read six days before the Passover so just before Christ's offering for sin was to become absolute reality we find Jesus in this lovely home in Bethany. Lazarus was there. They made for him, we see in verse 2, a supper, and Martha served. Lazarus sat at the table, and then, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. In the Gospel records, two records, I believe, of Christ being anointed, which seem to me not to be the same event, because there are quite significant differences between them. We're not really concerned about that so much, but we are, I think, being instructed by these two sisters in that lowly home in Bethany. Let's think about Jesus going there after a day spent preaching the gospel, raising dead people perhaps, healing the blind and the sick and the lame. And then he went home, very tired, and we can imagine how Martha and Mary would really look after our master. Wouldn't we love the opportunity, brethren and sisters, for our master to come into our home so that we could minister to him demonstrating that we understand the privilege we have of being the elect of God, of being called in this wonderful way that we've been thinking about. Yes, we would, I'm sure, love that opportunity. And wouldn't we make sure that our house was in a suitable state for the master to come in and spend time with us? What do you think they talked about? I can only believe that they must have talked with Jesus about the greatness of God's plan, Because Martha expressed it so well, didn't she? I know that my brother shall rise again in the resurrection, at the last day. And she acknowledged that Christ, Jesus, was the Christ, the anointed one, he who would rule over the kingdom. She knew the gospel. She understood the promises made to the fathers and how redemption was possible through the blood of Jesus. I'm sure that was the case. We can just imagine them then talking about these things with our master, and again, wouldn't we like the opportunity to do that? Well, actually, there is a way. There is a lesson for us because there is a way in which we can demonstrate how much we appreciate being the called of God. And Jesus actually explained it to us. He said, "Inasmuch as you do it unto the least of these my brethren, you've done it to me." And I know that in this room are so many who have been able to do exactly that over the many years of their probation. Well, the reaction, of course, here was uh, Judas Iscariot, who kept the bag, he was a thief, and, of course, he was the traitor. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? That was the value, and we need to appreciate the value of what Mary had done. You see, a lot of us recognise, I'm sure, and have done over the many centuries before our times, that there's not a lot of value in having a lot of money, a lot of gold and silver. It either gets stolen or it gets misused or it can lead us astray. And so many would have put their savings into something valuable of this sort. And concerning this particular material that's used here, It's interesting to look at what Vine, in his uh, teaching on his instruction, as it were, on New Testament words, says about this spikenard, nardos. It's derived through the Semitic languages of uh, Hebrew and Syriac. It is a fragrant oil procured in the stem of an Indian plant. And the Arabs called it the Indian spike hence the adjective, adjective pistikos. Um, that comes out particularly in this reading from John chapter 3, if you look at the original words. There is evidence that it is also something which is extracted from a plant which grows in Cyprus, Syria and Palestine, yielding a resin of very fragrant odour and in such inconsiderable quantities as to be very costly. Yes, so when you look at that value of it, in Vines Day, he suggests that the anointing of the oil used for our Lord amounts to a value of about 12 pounds in his day. I think you can add at least two noughts to the end of that if you want to do a calculation as to what the value of that spikenard that Mary poured on our Lord. Quite astonishing. There's a very nice and appropriate reference. We're going to read this in just a few days' time, so i just draw it to your attention. It comes from the Song of Songs in chapter 1. Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. We haven't time really to think too much about the Song of Songs. It's a lovely book which certainly demands our careful attention. But you see the point that's being made here. It's a play on the Hebrew. The savor of thy good ointments, and the word for ointment is shemen, thy name, and the Hebrew for the word name is shem. So there's a little play on words here, shemen and shem. Yes, and it makes the point that thy name is as ointment poured forth. Well, when you think about Mary in her home, pouring all that ointment upon our master, suffering the ridicule of people like Judas Iscariot, and there were others who were saying, well, that was so valuable, why pour it all out like that? Well, as Jesus said, she has done this for my burial. And in that other account where ointment was poured upon Jesus' head, he said she hath anointed me for my burial and where this is read throughout the world this shall be a testimony to her and we read it today we read this account here of Mary doing this wonderful work on our master and we realize what a sacrifice it was for her her life savings probably poured out on the feet of Jesus yes put on therefore as the elect of God Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do also ye. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all, in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father by him. So, brethren and sisters, we have been called to great things. We are elected, not by the voice of the people, but by the calling of the Almighty. And as we have seen, we have associated responsibilities that we must discharge faithfully and well as the elect of God. This present time is simply a time of preparation for far greater things to come. And all these characteristics, beloved of God, have to be seen in us if we are to be said to be godly. Co-rulership with Christ is promised us if we show ourselves worthy of our election, which is why the Apostle Peter urged his readers to make their calling and election sure. And that brings us very much to focus upon the one who is truly God's elect. Again, the prophet Isaiah was privileged to place on record the coming of the servant through whom the entire purpose of God would be achieved. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. The Hebrew word for delighteth tells us all we need to know about the relationship between the Almighty and his only begotten Son. Affection and approval. That's the meaning of that word, delighteth. Affection and approval, linked with the concept of reconciliation. Yes, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 42, speaks of the greatness of these things. And as we begin now, brethren and sisters, to prepare our minds for sharing together the emblems of our Lord's love, let these words perhaps be of comfort and strength to us Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles this is what God says concerning our master. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. We are Gentiles, brethren and sisters, as we are born. And yet God has made this wonderful covenant through his son with the likes of you and me to open the blind eyes, he's done that. The gospel has been preached to us to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. Well, the gospel records tell us how our master went about the fulfillment of these prophecies. The blind were able to see, the lame to walk and the dead were raised to life again but it is in the spiritual fulfillment that we can take the greatest comfort because, as we have said, our eyes have been opened to the light of the gospel. Yes, we do look forward to the physical healing that eternal life will bestow, but it is the hope of resurrection that will benefit the vast majority of the saints, the elect, and it is through the work of Christ that these blessings can be granted to us. And that's why we love to meet in this way and to remember him by sharing together the emblems of his love.